The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right. The NFL season is back Thursday night. Will Brinson and the crew from the Pick 6 NFL podcast, you know they brought you a pod every single weekday in the offseason? They're insane, and they're great. So with football season finally here, they're ramping up the frequency with a minimum of eight weekly Pick 6 episodes. Brinson, you're out of your mind, and I love you. Pick 6 will be there for gambling and fantasy picks leading up to games, and also there will be recaps as soon as the games end. For the most comprehensive NFL audio experience, download and subscribe to Pick 6 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. It's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, September 9, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and here's something interesting that happened this morning. The ACC coaches held their weekly conference call earlier today and agreed to formally propose that the 2021 NCAA tournament include all 357 Division one men's basketball team. So let's start here, Norlander. Should we have an NCAA tournament with more than 350 teams? No. Uh, and uh, no. And, <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, no. And wait, wait, what's that? Uh, no. This is, all right, so this is the kind of, this is the kind of headline that will, is so outrageous, it will reverberate uh, beyond college basketball and uh, honestly would be the kind of thing that I, I expect to be on like the PTI rail later this afternoon. Um, how interesting that it comes, how interesting it comes two days after I recommended a bunch of mini quasi NCAA tournaments to start the season, but I'm not surprised by this because I know that for a while now, Mike Krzyzewski has been endorsing behind the scenes the idea of a 128-team tournament. How they got from that to just being like, ah, just F it. Everyone go ahead and get in the pool. I'm not entirely sure. Jim Beheim has long been... Uh, an endorser of expanding the tournament. I think 96 teams has been his uh, has been his selling point for a number of years. Um, I don't like this at all. Um, and we're literally getting this information and restarting a podcast because we are in the middle of another one. And obviously, this is this is so interesting and big that it it, it demands immediate discussion and and plenty of criticism. Here's why it's an issue. One, the NCAA is nowhere close to even signing off on this. The NCAA and its TV partners want to have a 68-team tournament that starts in mid-March like it always does. That is their highly desired starting point, okay? And I understand that there was there was there there are going to be certain um, 
brackets, formats, and logistics on how they would think they could try and do this. Every single coach in the sport is going to endorse this, obviously, because you can say, I made the NCAA tournament. It ain't going to work like that. Now, if you have this many teams, the NCAA runs the tournament, Parish. It funds and runs the tournament. The NCAA does not have the manpower to be able to run a single... This is why I didn't... like. I love the idea of a early season 350... Or three, now 357 damn teams in this sport. I love the idea of starting the season with a 357-team bracket. I even briefly thought about it before I came up with the other idea I posted earlier this week on the site, but it's logistically not doable. I don't even see how this is viable from a testing standpoint. It's disastrous if you have potential outbreaks from one team to another, which is why I've said in the past that if you're going to have a tournament, you should have it, in my opinion, in one site and and bubble up like that. So this is the brainchild of the ACC coaches, um, Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim, and you know the, the biggest voices in that in that league obviously are going to be pushing for this, but I am extremely anti this, not because they'll never stick with it. I don't think this is so ridiculous that it's the one case where you could expand the tournament and they will definitely shrink it going forward. But this is just, this is coaching, uh, brainstorming gone amok. And beyond anything else, I I think that it would do more to devalue the college basketball regular season and make it a joke more than anything we've ever seen before when, in fact, college basketball stakeholders should be trying to do the opposite and bring as much value as possible to a unique season. I was, I've been asked by various coaches several times over the past few months, like, what do you think about expanding the tournament just in this year? Like you said, some of them, Jim Beheim, perhaps most notably, have been in favor of expanding the tournament for years now. I'm in 100% against that. Like, I know that every year somebody's on the wrong side of the bubble and they feel like they get screwed. But in a 68-team tournament, as somebody who has put together brackets and studied the bubble and all that stuff, the truth is if you're good, you're in the tournament. That Good teams do not get left out of the men's basketball tournament. You're, if you can't get in, you have been very average at best. So I, I find it completely unnecessary to expand unless your argument is, GP, we got to make as much money as we can make, and there's more money to be made um, with um, expanded postseasons. Uh, and like, I, I, I can't argue against that. If the bottom line is money, then just say the bottom line's money and do it. But uh, the idea that we need to expand the tournament for any reason other than money, revenue, is, is nonsense. Good teams do not get left out. At bad teams sometimes get in. Good teams do not get left out. So... But, but obviously, we're living in different times right now. Like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, it's going to be, a, a, barring a surprise, shortened season played in an unprecedented way. So I've been asked several times over the past, like, what, what would you think about expanding the tournament? You know, just in this year. And I say, I could, get behind, I could get behind it just in this year. Like, Major League Baseball has expanded its postseason, presumably, well, they say, just in this year. Um, and, and the reason is simple. Uh, with a shortened season, you, you provide more postseason opportunities for teams. But, like, let's cut through that BS. Here's the truth. There's more money in playoff baseball than there is regular season baseball. So let's cut the regular season, add to the postseason, and maximize revenue. Um, so I, I'm, I'm for expanding the tournament in this year, in this season, to some degree. But not all, not every team. Like, we don't need every team in the stupid NCAA tournament. It's, it, it would, it, first off, we don't need all these teams in division one basketball. I wish we, yes. we could take, I wish we could take care of that. Like the idea that 
um, Idaho and Kentucky are competing for the same trophy is fundamentally ridiculous. Like someday I hope to look up and we've got, I don't know, we could cut this thing easily in half, probably even more than that. And I'd be fine with it. We wouldn't miss all of these teams. Like people like the quote Cinderella stories, but like we don't need the Cinderella story to be um, Wagner, you know, like we, we, we could, we could figure something else out. But uh, so I, I just, this is, I knew that they were talking along these lines, the ACC coaches, about expanding, I did not know that they planned to go all the way to 357, but that is the formal proposal, and I hope that it is um, it is not accepted because it seems, I tweeted this, the best word I can come up with is excessive. It seems excessive. I mean, ridiculous, idiotic, unnecessary, antithetical to the actual idea of having a regular season here's something so you know we we had to reboot the podcast i'm trying to send text messages get more i will read directly off a tweet from our friend pat 40 Uh, what are we doing here it says the plan would turn uh the plan would turn conference championship week into the opening round of the big dance from there the field is reduced to 64 68 by the following week oh that's already what happens with conference tournaments. What are we doing here? Are we saying that like the first round and second round and third round and fourth round and fifth round and sixth round of the NCAA tournament would be conferences playing each other? No, that- I, I actually don't think that's okay. what he means because I, the, the ACC is never going to get on board with um, we only get one team into a, you know, whatever. But I think what he means is the NCAA tournament will, quote, start the week that championship week normally starts. So if you're going to have a conference tournament in the SEC, you're going to have to move that up. Where are we putting this? Where are these sites? How are we paying for it? How are we staffing it? How are we getting uh, enough officials? How are we having backup officials for COVID protocols? What kind of testing is going to be there? This is a fun idea for coaches in theory. To me, it's not based in a lot of logic. Nobody has any desire to see any kind of 9, 10, 14, 16 win low major, mid major team in a tournament to begin with. No one has any sort of desire to see any kind of, you know, a 12th place team in the ACC playing the NCAA tournament. So, none of that stuff I think is is even close to reasonable. I just don't I don't think this benefits college basketball's cause. And in fact, ACC coaches by doing this, see that listen, they're operating in their own silos and I get all that, but they don't realize that that presenting this kind of plan actually makes college basketball look like something of a joke here where it's like, yeah, everyone gets in the tournament because even though you and I understand that this is not actually the case, it's not the absolute easiest thing to get into the tournament. But for many casual sports fans, the 68-team NCAA tournament is a is a utopian sports event every March, but it does have this impression of like, well, there are 68 teams in this thing, so it's not exactly the hardest thing to get in. If you can't get in, like you almost deserve to lose your job. If even in the time of, the, of a pandemic, amid the coronavirus they decided to expand this thing I just think it just erodes everything about the sport leading up to that moment what good luck I mean good luck even trying to seed that by the way and I'll, I'll tweet that out when you respond here how do you even see that how do you see it it seems it actually seems actually legitimately impossible to even remotely try and accurately see the tournament like that so you would have chaos beyond chaos and if you want to make a case perish that like well you know what what the hell let's just get this get on with it and just have complete and utter chaos left and right that's fine but that's that's an 
That's a true impossibility. And last thing here, the reason why I think this is also, and I'm just going to, I'm going to roll with this now because this, the fact that the coaches have put this out there, I'm, I'll share this with the public. The ACC right now, as I understand it, is, I don't think it's necessarily more likely to do this than not, but it is definitely on the table. See, right now you have all of these conversations happening and there's good communication, but the ACC is one of two power conference leagues, as I understand right now, that is prepared to go league only for a number of reasons. And one of those reasons would be if we get to a certain point with all these uh, tournament organizers, and we'll get to that later on the podcast, and you've got 11 different non-conference November and December events, the ACC is prepared to say, you know what, we'll just go 26 league games do a round robin and have that constitute our regular season and we'll be good with that. Obviously, the NCAA doesn't want to have a situation where you have five, seven, nine conferences go league only and then everyone else is playing a non-conference because that really makes for some irregularity. But if the ACC did that... That is also another reason why the ACC coaches would be presenting a plan like this because if you only played league games, it only helps their cause to have everyone in the pool because they haven't had any long non-league action. Go ahead. That's exactly right. Like uh, um, The ACC coaches have been meeting weekly, and I a few weeks ago I was told that Mike Krzyzewski, Leonard Hamilton, some of the bigger, older coaches in that league were – most interested in playing conference-only schedules, that if you left it up to them, they had reached a point of, we need to do what's best for us. We need to take care of us. It's not our job to um, to make this work for 350 teams. Like, let's take care of us. Let's focus on us. I don't want to say that every coach in the league felt that way, but I was told the majority of coaches on these conference calls Definitely subscribe to that. Now, I bet you, as they start taking this to the people that you take it to, they were told, well, the problem with conference-only schedules is that it makes it very hard for the metrics to work. Um, The metrics aren't as accurate, and it makes trying to select teams for the NCAA tournament problematic. So then their counter to that is, well, then let's just put everybody in the NCAA tournament. Like that's, that's where we're at. And um, it, it, it just, it doesn't work for a variety of reasons. Here's another one, by the way. And I think this is one that gets, gets lost. What is the reason the NBA didn't want to take all 30 teams to Disney world? The main reason. The more teams, the more people, the more possibilities for an outbreak. Correct. Okay. Well, let's just apply that same logic here. If we're doing 357, you subtract 68 that are normally in. We are adding 289 teams to an NCAA tournament. 13 scholarship players on each team just, you know, based on what's allowed. That's 3,757 more basketball players competing in the quote NCAA tournament. You are increasing the likelihood of an outbreak by a bazillion. Why? What is the point? Like it, it, it just doesn't, I, I, yeah. I will be, I don't want to say shocked because who knows, like we're living in unprecedented times. I, I, I can't imagine the NCAA is actually going to think this is a good idea. I bet this is ends up being a compromise. We will expand the tournament. From 68 to something, but we're not going to 357. We're not going to everybody because everybody yeah. is it's, it's excessive, and by excessive, I mean ridiculous. Listen, I, I, let's, let's also reset here and, and put this in context for our listeners. This is obviously just, you know, 
so outrageous that it creates a headline. We are reacting in real time, and it is one idea from one conference. Granted, that conference has multiple Hall of Fame coaches in it, and it's arguably the most prominent conference in the sport. But it's just one idea. I'm not even there that they're going to compromise. I, I, I still think the NCAA, for many logistical reasons, has no desire or intention to expand the tournament. And I, I mean... I spoke with someone at the NCAA level, and just because people might assume this would be the person, I'll just, it was not Dan Gavitt, but it was someone else uh, in, in decent authority there. And as recently as you know, a week, a week and a half ago, there was no desire to expand the tournament whatsoever. Now, can they get to that point? Obviously, the NABC is going to lobby for this. It's a selection committee nightmare. The committee wants absolutely nothing to do with this as well. And it's just one idea. What is true is they're going to try and work backward from, okay, how big is the tournament and when do we want to have it? And then from there, what's our calendar going to look like in terms of maximum game allowability? What I also think is factoring into this is the uncertainty of how many games this season will entail. I think that coaches in talking with their athletic directors, coaches, by the way, hearing uh, from, I mean, I had two ACC coaches tell me that they have been on calls with, you know, high-ranking, highly respected doctors that are not just working in, like, the field of the NCAA, but, like, they are on the front lines of, of major health discussions and decisions at governmental levels dealing with public policies. And those doctors have told ACC coaches that at this point, while it's certainly possible you could get a college basketball season up and running by the end of November or early December, they are even to the point where they're like, you know, if you could start by like the end of January, that would be a that would be a great ideal scenario. Not that I think college basketball season won't start until January. I'm just trying to get you a little bit more of a perspective on how they land at this point. When they're being told by respected people in their medical fields, here's a potential reality. You might not be you might have all the best laid plans to start your season in the year 2020, but you might actually have to wait until January or maybe the end of January or early February to do that. And so when they hear that kind of stuff, they think, okay, well, are they going to have the tournament still like in mid-March, end of March or early April? If that's the case, like, are we only going to have like a 10 game season, a 12 game season? Guys, if that's the case, shouldn't we plan for something in the event that no one can play a lot of games? And what's the one solution to that? Well, you know what? Everyone is willing to sacrifice and we're all into the tournament. I think Personally, I think that is the mindset and the discussions that led the ACC to get to this point. And I do think that every coach in the sport is going to basically endorse this, but it will be on the oversight committee. It will be on Dan Gavitt to, uh, and conference commissioners to really push back against this and say, logistically, you know, here's what the TV networks are capable of, and here's how we're even capable of even staffing this thing, of hosting it in how many sites. So there's, there's so much to get to. Uh, I do do hope this is something of a comment and it dies off relatively quickly. But when you have guys like Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim signing off and endorsing this, obviously it's going to gain some legs. There's no question. And I guess if you were trying to argue for it, like let's just counter argue for a second. If you were trying to argue for it, you would say, I think, listen, that NCAA tournament is, with, is, is worth a billion dollars a year in ad revenue. Now, the idea that you expand it and and, and could get, you know, five times as much money seems crazy, like uh, unrealistic, but you could expand it and probably get more money, you know? And so you say, we're trying to maximize revenue and it's the only thing that matters. 
Like if, if one of the ACC coaches was talking to me right now, he'd say, GP, I've listened to the podcast. You have consistently said since the pandemic started, the only thing that matters is having a 2021 NCAA tournament. You got to have it. You got to have it. You got to have it. So this is a way to ensure that we have it and it's fair for everybody because we're not sure everybody is going to be able to play 15 games, 18 games, 25 games, 30 games in advance of what is normally selection Sunday. And so we don't want to get to a place where we have to leave teams out because we say, well, you didn't play enough games or you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Let's just avoid all of that and ensure that everybody will have a chance to compete for the championship, regardless of what the regular season looks like, because we're putting everybody in the tournament. And then again, we get to hold the NCAA tournament and make all of the money that we need to make. I, I guess that's the counter argument, but that's not good enough for me. I, like I, I'd say, I hear you, but this is, this is silly. There are going to be people that like this idea and they're, they're going to like or love this idea based on an approach and vision to college basketball and the greatness of its postseason. I hate this idea because I still maintain that college basketball, I have you know a devotion to college basketball's regular season, and college basketball needs to be doing all that it can, pandemic or otherwise, to bring as much urgency and relevancy and creativity to its regular season as possible. You eliminate so much of the work you're going to try and do in getting these games done between November, December, until whenever the end of the regular season is uh, by doing this. So I don't think that this is going to happen. I just... I, I'm not going to say it's impossible. I, 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 actually, I mean, I truly hate the idea, Parrish. I mean, I love this sport, I, I, and I just I cannot stand this idea. I, I just this, and trust me, I've I've heard from, I've heard from coaches at big schools, middle schools, small schools uh, over the entire summer about expanding. I hadn't heard 357, but I've heard plenty being like, "Here's why you need to go to 128, guarantee at least two game, two teams per league, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Here's why it would work, and I I keep coming back to man, that's too many teams. You risk an outbreak. The money, it's just not, how would you seed it, et cetera. This is that to the nth degree. And, you know, because it's making so much noise, you'll get plenty of people responding to this on the record. Um, Hell, by the end of the day, if not by the end of the week, this all comes, by the way, we're one week out from the Division One Council's vote to start the season. Uh, I'll, t- I'll toss a little bit of a nugget here that I haven't shared. Um, the understanding is that would be it would be November 25th. I've been told that, that November 23rd is still might be a kind of a last minute adjustment date because there are so many MTEs that uh, that are scheduled to start the 23rd. They don't see what the point is between two days. So um, all of this is building up to the D1 council vote. And we, we clearly have a lot of noise with this particular thing. Any kind of decision on this, if you're curious, we are we are looking at two to three months minimum. And we would almost certainly in my opinion, start the season, if it started at the end of November, Parish, before we even knew if this was doable at a 357 team level, if it, if it were to be approved. That is definitely something that would, uh, that would take just so long to figure out and be able to turn around in six or seven months. We should point out, by the way, and like it doesn't matter the points. Every point we've made remains the same, but it wouldn't actually be three five seven. Like right. some teams are um, banned because of APR reasons. Poor Oklahoma State still can't get in. That's also that's a you know, that's a great point. That's uh, that, um, and we don't even know if some leagues will wind up playing. By the way, so there's also that. Yeah, so this could be a 330 team tournament, 345. You're right, absolutely. Okay, so let's bottom line it. Um, two thumbs down from the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Is that correct? 
to just all the way down. They're continuing to drop to go down, 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 down. I, 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 I blanch at 96, 357, and you've got me waking up at 245 in the morning with cold sweats. This is, yeah. Right. No, thanks. Yeah. I, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I am in, I'm not, I don't know that I'm in favor of, but I'm okay with expanding, but not all the way to include everybody who is eligible for the NCAA tournament. Again, Excessive is the word that comes to mind. Let's move on. Details about how this sure-to-be unusual 2020-21 college basketball season might get started continue to be revealed. Norlander actually had a story Tuesday night about a possible non-league bubble at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut that would take place in December. We're going to get to that next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So details about how this season might, and I emphasize the word might get started, continue to be revealed. And Norlander had a story on Tuesday night about a possible non-league bubble at Mohegan Sun that would take place in North in, in December. So Norlander, you, you walk us through it. You obtain the documents. What does that proposal look like? And do you think it will actually happen? Yeah, this 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 big tournament thing has totally thrown me. Okay, so this was this was to be the lead item on the podcast. Um, I do think this is going to happen. Now, the um, there were three documents that have been sent along to schools and stakeholders about the, the Hall of Fame, which puts on um, an event, the tip off at Mohegan Sun every single year and has for a decade. It wants to hold a true college basketball bubble in December. And I mean, true bubble. If you get to Mohegan sun, you don't leave the, you don't leave the property until you're done playing. Um, or if you create a positive test, you get booted. Um, the initial plan, and this was the initial plan was 16 teams, 32 games over the course of, of eight days. That doesn't include like arrival quarantine testing and practice pre-practice days and all that kind of good stuff. Now I have, uh, I knew this was I. What I didn't include, I included via sources. Was sixteen was the initial proposal. There's going to be more than sixteen teams. And in fact, after my story went up, I had a representative from the Hall of Fame call to clarify a couple of things, which are important to this uh, to this story. First of all, testing is is paramount. And actually, they plan on now instead of using the deep nose nasal swab, they want to use the saliva direct test, which was created by Yale, funded by the NBA and MBPA. That is going to be the testing method, and it's going to be done through um, 
through saliva samples and they're going to get all that stuff done. So that's a, that's an upgrade to the initial plan. The other thing is they have to figure out what teams want to come, can come, willing to come, and then are going to provide an a la carte option, if you will, for schools. Um, let me give you one example. Baylor, one of the best teams in college basketball this season, is scheduled to play in one of that's the... Where, that's where Terry Teagle went to school. That is correct. Uh, that is correct. Shouts to, to Terry Teagle. He's the legend. So, Baylor is scheduled to play in one of these Gazelle Group games, um, which would be scheduled to play in the New York City area. The Gazelle Group is going to almost certainly move up to Mohegan Sun. But the problem is, Baylor also has the Jimmy V Classic, which would bump up against this. So you have certain schools that would be involved in Mohegan Sun games that could be involved in other either single-night made-for-TV events or other notable non-conference games whose fates have not been determined yet. So what the Mohegan Sun and the Hall of Fame are going to be willing to do is basically say to Baylor, okay, you go down, theoretically, you play in Orlando. As I understand it, ESPN is going to try and get a bunch of these MTEs to be played in Orlando right up close to when the season's starting and then... um, Jimmy V being like the finale event of all the Orlando games, as I understand it at this point, no full final decisions have been made. And then Baylor would have the option to say, okay, we're going to either fly directly to Mohegan or we'll fly back home for X amount of days. Then they would get to Mohegan and they would have the option. If, if Baylor went to the organizers and said, you know what, we just want two non-conference games at Mohegan, they'd be like, that's cool. If they, went, if they say, you know what, we're going to make the trip. If you can actually help us, we're going to kill off some other games. Can you get us five opponents when we come up there? If the schedule allows for it, they will do that. So you will have some teams that maybe get two or three games, other teams that might get five or six games. The big unknown at this point, and GP, this is such a complex issue. Everyone's waiting for the vote on the 16th to see when the season can start and under what terms. And once that vote comes through, all these tournament organizers across the country are going to just go nuts. It could be a cluster <clears throat> if you get what I'm saying. But we wait and see on on all of that. What we don't know is how many teams will go to Mohegan and how all those formats would play out. I do want to make this known there is a willingness across college basketball, regardless of the event. You've got, you know, you've got the Mohegan Sun. I reported on Tuesday as well that the battle for Atlantis is going to be leaving the Bahamas and Sioux Falls, South Dakota is the potential destination for that. I can get to that in a minute if we if I need to explain more as to why that is. But the point is all of these events, you have the bigger schools willing and wanting to include at least a couple of mid-majors to, one, they want they want the, the feed, if you will. They want the easy wins, if you will. But they also want to help out these schools benefit in ways because it's going to be necessary to their long-lasting legitimacy as an athletic department in many regards to being able to have a schedule, qualify for the tournament, if it's not 350 freaking teams. So keep that in mind as well. If you're listening to this and you're a fan of a small school team, there are discussions and a lot of consideration being given to allowing those teams to play in these events. I do think it is an inevitability that a lot of them will get the short end of the stick and be left out. But these events that are going to be in Orlando, potentially Asheville, potentially Mohegan Sun, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Las Vegas has been bantied about. I've been told Louisville is in the mix. Um, There will be some small schools that will be taken into consideration that have opportunities to play in those as well. I've been rambling. Comments and questions, go ahead. Imagine thinking you were going to Atlantis and you end up in Sioux Falls. Can I explain? Okay, so you're right. And when I sent that news out, that tweet out on Tuesday, everyone made that joke, and it's absolutely correct. Here's why Sioux Falls is going to be a destination. It is the only... 
It is the only bubble site that is directly working in conjunction in business every day with a healthcare provider. Sanford Health out of Sioux Falls is the entity that has been responsible for providing everything about testing and protocols with the PGA Tour. It's got an actual health organization that has taken on a major American sport and guided the PGA Tour with all of its COVID testing. That is a huge, obviously a huge selling point um, to conference commissioners, athletic directors, schools. And so, yeah, Sioux Falls. And also, by the way, it's in the middle of nowhere. Weirdly enough, you had this huge biker rally that's that's i don't perish i assume you've seen the story that's led to like it was a huge super spreader event like it was it was a massive it's created massive amounts of cases based on the research that's been done and sioux falls was one of the spots where it was at um so ironically enough sioux falls is relatively you know in the middle of nowhere but the state is actually a hot spot right now regardless of all that they have more than enough hotels and it would be just like the way that orlando is a bubble in the middle of hotspot florida um it would be there so yes atlantis going to sioux falls which is not definite i've just been told by multiple sources that's the preferred destination right now because of many factors the health stuff being one of them i would anticipate that if we can have bubbles that the pentagon which is what it's called the basketball facility up there would be one of the premier and primary destinations uh for many factors anyway go ahead it was the Sturgis motorcycle rally, and the study showed, uh, just so we make sure we got it exactly right, that th- there was a study done that attributed perhaps more than 250,000 COVID-19 cases to that rally from people um, being there and then going back into their communities all over the country and spreading the virus that they contracted while at this motorcycle rally. So, uh, it, as is the case with basically everything in the year 2020 um, the study gets uh, reported and then if it confirms what you think about this virus you go oh my god see and if you are a virus denier you just you know dismiss the study and call it fake news like that's where we're at trust me i posted that study on the facebook page and it just turned into an absolute nightmare i've been to sioux falls by the way it's actually a beautiful place um the only thing the, the main thing i remember about it is i landed in sioux falls and went to baggage claim and I'm not exaggerating. I think I was the only person there okay. not pick, not picking up a weapon. Oh my God. <laughs> like everybody's ba- like my suitcase came through and I grabbed it and everybody else had like a, guns. There's like a million. They were all going there hunting. It was like big. The, the weekend I was there was a big um, hunting weekend. So I think I, every was, weekend there is a big hunting weekend. But yeah. I, I guess so. So I, I don't know. I don't remember where I flew from, like maybe Memphis to Minneapolis, the Minneapolis to Sioux Falls. That sounds like that might have been right. But my entire flight from wherever I connected to Sioux Falls was me and people who love to kill animals. That's all it was. It was a pretty, it's a pretty wild scene. But uh, shouts to the Pentagon. I'm sure if you put it there, it'll, it'll, it'll go great. Here's my question to you. Because when I talk to coaches, and obviously this is all changing, it feels like every day. But when I've been talking to coaches over the past few weeks, they felt like, for the most part, they could create these little bubbles, non-league situations on their own, that they didn't need an organizer to do it. Like Jay Wright and John Calipari and Mark Few and Tom Izzo were talking about, hey, how, how can we get together and do this? Um, and then in your story, I noticed that part of like, if you want to get involved, I believe you, the number was seven, you got to pay us $75,000. Like is Kentucky really going to pay $75,000 to go be in a bubble with a bunch of teams? Or is Kentucky just going to say, we run, we'll just run things ourselves? 
Um, I think it's going to be willing. And I was also told that uh, I'm getting these texts from these coaches about these tournaments right now. It's ridiculous. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, Kentucky would be obviously capable of doing that, Parrish. But actually, Calipari went on a podcast with our man Andy Katz, and he was vocal about wanting to participate in these events, help the smaller schools. There's not going to be equity. Even Cal was offering up like anecdotes like, if my players decide to go out and hang with their girlfriends and we're out for two weeks as a quarantine, that's bad on us. So he is actually – it's been really uh, uplifting to see Cal publicly take this – stance and stand up for the little guys. I would hope that that's going to happen behind the scenes. I was also told in regard to Mohegan Sun, 75,000 was, that is the uh, the number that's in the proposal. Smaller schools would not necessarily have to pay that much. There will be, ne- there would be negotiated prices. So if you're, if you're a smaller school and that's too steep, um, they would accommodate uh, otherwise there. So keep that in mind. Also keep in mind this, no one knows what's going to happen with non-conference play. It is it is by far the biggest issue that I think actually it doesn't have enough urgency right now behind it. Um, you know, everything before a start date. Do those games get killed off? Do they get pushed back to another year? Are there inevitable lawsuits? We don't we don't know. But there are going to be plenty of schools that are looking to play as many non-conference games as allowable, as close to their campus as possible. So. Just for example, and I'm not saying this would happen. I'm not saying I got intel on this, but this specific school was pointed out to me as one that would make sense. Right now, Providence is scheduled to play in the Maui tournament, and the Maui tournament hasn't officially left Maui yet. I've been told there are at least five cities that are aggressively trying to get Maui to go and play there. There is no front runner at this point, but Providence... Unless that Maui, unless the Maui tournament got relocated to Mohegan Sun, which is not in the cards as I understand it, or, or somewhere that was close by, it would prefer probably to not have to fly uh, somewhere far off and go do that when it can simply hop on a bus, drive 47 minutes to the Mohegan Sun, and get non-conference opponents that are basically on the same level as what they would be in a Maui pod and get that done. So what you may see, what you may see it's teams that are scheduled to be in one, as we refer to them, MTE, bow out, and you'll have swaps. You'll have geographic trades where it's like, okay, you know what? You were supposed to be in the group that's going to go play in Orlando. Instead, now you're going to go to Mohegan Sun. I do think that is an option. The next thing that schools are waiting to find out is when is there going to be a vote and a decision made on the maximum allowable games overall for teams? Because it's 31 and that number is dropping. What, no, is it going to go from 31 to 27 to 25? We don't know. And is there going to be a maximum allowable number of games for non-conference? If that's the case, what is that number going to be? Let's just say it's eight parish. Just toss it on a number there. I think you would have a situation where a lot of schools would say, okay, we can play eight non-conference games. Mohegan Sun or Orlando or Las Vegas or whatever, can you get us six of these eight games? Can we can we just knock out six in two weeks' time and get those done? That is an that is a premise that I can tell you multiple coaches at top 25 programs have endorsed to me personally, and I think they're willing to do it, but the NCAA and the Oversight Committee have to officially approve that first and, and have game allowances, and we're just not there yet. All right, if you haven't read the story uh, yet, it, it posted Tuesday night. Norlander obviously tweeted it. I retweeted it. So you can find it on Twitter or at cbssports.com. And like I said, um, the, 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 the most encouraging thing about all of this is that there are actual plans being made to try to, to conduct the basketball season in some form. What is it going to look like? We still don't know exactly. But um, all I 
wanted from the jump, and I wrote this column, you know, a month or two ago, is like, just don't wait around and assume everything will be okay. Let's start planning. And quite clearly, uh, people are planning. So that's a, that's a great sign that suggests um, even if our country is not in a better place as it relates to COVID-19 or even in a good place at all, that there might be a way to actually have a 2020-21 college basketball season. Before we get out of here, um, some NBA news broke Tuesday night that might, could theoretically impact college basketball. Billy Donovan is out at Oklahoma City after five years. When this happens, immediately people start speculating about whether he would return to college because obviously, um, you know, he's a future Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. He's a man who's won uh, two national championships. Um, He is reportedly going to be involved with the Philadelphia search and possibly other jobs. So, and and, and my understanding is that all things being equal, he would prefer to remain an NBA coach than a than be a college coach again but norlander do you could you envision a scenario where billy donovan is uh i don't know uh next season not this upcoming season but the one after that coaching college basketball i actually can't um my thinking and understanding on this is i believe the same as yours as a few other reporters uh have kind of made clear that billy donovan is very comfortable and wanting to be an NBA coach at this point. He had, in my opinion, a a very successful run with Oklahoma City. And the fact that he is not going to continue coaching there is more uh, him being a victim of circumstance and that franchise taking a look at its roster and and trying to maybe hit something of a reset. And Donovan, you know, not wanting to have himself set up for failure with a second contract uh, with a roster situation that he would not prefer. He knows that he's a commodity at the NBA market. You're going to see his name floated with Chicago, Indiana, and Philadelphia. I think it's plenty likely that he actually winds up coaching at any of those three franchises. And if you told me that by the end of September that was all wrapped up, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I do think that he's going to continue coaching the NBA. I put Billy Donovan's chances at returning to college basketball in the next three years. Honestly, Parrish, I put it at like 2%. I just, we should bring him up on the podcast and talk about him because he, he obviously is one of the better college basketball coaches of the past 25 years. But I think that part of his life is behind him. And certainly he could get any college job that he wanted. But I think he has uh, proved himself to be um, a worthy NBA coach. He's going to have some suitors. And I think that he's going to land with another job. And I do think he'll be coaching in the NBA next season. Did you say 2%? Two percent that he returns to college basketball in the next three years. Oh, I would put it higher than that, but I but I still would put it well below fifty percent. I think he's going to be an NBA coach. <laughs> yeah, my two my two percent is throwing you there. <laughs> yeah, that just seems really low. Like a ninety eight percent chance Billy Donovan will be doing something other than coaching college basketball. Seems a little high, but um, but you and I are on the same page here. I I don't think he's going to coach college basketball. Um, next season, I think he's going to be an NBA coach again. Five years in Oklahoma City. Um. Made the playoffs all five years, but lost in the first round each of the past four years. Um, Obviously, he took over a team with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Serge Ibaka. Like that's the those were three starters, three of the top four scores on his first team. Made the conference finals, Western Conference finals that season, and then he lost Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka after that year. Trivia time. Okay. Okay. The only player on Billy Donovan's first Oklahoma City team that was also on his last Oklahoma City team was Stephen Adams. That's very good. It was Stephen Adams. Um, oh yeah, baby. So look at you nailing trivia time. Here's what's interesting to me. So he goes to Oklahoma City, and here it's a team with Russ and KD. 
He takes it to, I believe, a three seed in um, in the you know they're the three seed in the West. They go to the Western Conference Finals. They play the Warriors. They lose in seven games. If he wins Game Seven against the Warriors, goes to the finals. Does KD ever leave? And is Billy Donovan sitting here as the coach of an NBA champion? No. No. What do, what do you think? I mean, listen, I would pick LeBron in the finals in 2016 against uh, the, the Thunder because he's the king. But yeah. if, if, if Oklahoma City knocked off Golden State, it's not crazy to think they could have knocked off Cleveland. And if, if Oklahoma City wins a world championship that year, I don't think Kevin Durant leaves. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's an ultimate what-if there. And it, it's just, that's kind of life in the NBA parish. Those kind of decisions from players, they just it just seems like they're just huge. It's not even, it's, it's wave effects, not ripple effects, in terms of how they can affect uh, coaching careers and, and just kind of the way that the that the NBA goes one direction versus another. You look at the Clippers this year being one of the most prominent instances of that with what Kawhi's been able to do with that team. The Raptors are still good, don't get me wrong, but the Clippers wouldn't be the Clippers as we know them if Kawhi hadn't decided what he did to, to do what he did. It's just uh, amazing to me how often people's careers and by extension lives come down to these like moments where if it goes a different way, everything unfolds differently. Like Billy Donovan coached so far around 400 regular season games in the NBA. And if he wins that one game seven in the Western Conference Finals in his first year in Oklahoma City, it is possible he wins a championship Then Kevin Durant doesn't leave then maybe he's got a dynasty. Maybe he doesn't, but it just the entire thing unfolds differently. As it is, he is unemployed, but I think you and I agree, probably won't be unemployed long. I suspect when the 2020-21 NBA season starts, whenever that is, Billy Donovan will be coaching some uh, some team, one of the 30 involved in, in that league. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thanks for listening. Once again, to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of a pandemic. If you enjoy it, please tell one person about it. If you're not already subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We both appreciate it. So please go do that. You get a couple of minutes. And uh, either way, we'll talk to you again really soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.